So during the three Sundays of interim, we're doing a series on three epiphanies that can save your life. Last week, Christianity is not about you. This week, spiritual warfare is easier than you think. And we'll be looking at Matthew 8. The black books in the pews are the Bibles. You'll want to keep it open and keep it in front of you. Matthew 8 can be found on page 789 in the Pew Bibles. We're going to read the very end of the chapter. Page 789, Matthew 8, beginning to read at verse 28. When Jesus came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, Two demoniacs coming out of the tombs met him. They were so fierce that no one could pass that way. Suddenly they shouted, What have you to do with us, Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a large herd of swine was feeding at some distance from them. The demons begged him, If you cast us out, send us into the herd of swine. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and entered the swine, and suddenly the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and perished in the water. The swine herds ran off, and on going into the town, they told the whole story about what had happened to the demoniacs. Then the whole town came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their neighborhood. And after getting into a boat, he crossed the sea and came to his own town. This is the word of the Lord. Paul, do we have a map? Do we have the map? Great. So to understand what's happening in this passage, you first need to understand where it's happening. When Jesus says he went to the other side, that's the first line in this passage, right? When he came to the other side, the other side of what, you have to ask? The other side of the Sea of Galilee. So you can see on this map in the northwest area, there's this big section that says Galilee right? That's where Jesus hung out most of the time. That's where the Jews lived. That's where most of the disciples came from, that whole area. On the other side, in the southeast area, you can see that that region is called the Decapolis. Now, if you know just a little bit of Greek, you know that Decapolis means 10 cities. This was an area that had been settled first by Alexander the Great when he came sweeping across, and he established 10 cities in this area from that southeast section to the Sea of Galilee south, 10 cities. And then the Romans came sweeping through later, and they liked the Decapolis, and so they set up their shop there too. In fact, they liked that area so much, the area of the Decapolis became an area where a lot of Roman soldiers would go to retire. And so the cities that were in that region had all the things that retired Roman soldiers were accustomed to. There were lots of brothels for sexual promiscuity. There were big arenas where the gladiators would fight each other to the death. There were temples to all of the gods that they had grown up worshiping. When Jesus goes from the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee, to the southeast side of the Sea of Galilee. He's not just crossing a lake. He's changing worlds. So Jesus and the disciples step out of the boat. You can take it down now, thank you. They step out of the boat, 
And immediately the disciples know that they are not in Kansas anymore because they smell something that you don't normally smell in the area of Galilee. Pigs. And some of you have grown up on farms with pigs. Some of you have grown up near farms with pigs. And you know pigs smell. There is a very distinct pig smell. So they get off the boat. They step foot on the land. Where, by the way, the odds are very good. None of them had ever been before. And they immediately go, pigs? What's happening? And then just to emphasize the fact that they are not in their normal area, these two demoniacs come out. And they come out from the tombs. So we have two things here going on that are unclean. To the Jews, pigs were unclean. They weren't kosher. They didn't rear them. They didn't eat them. They did nothing with them. And then you have the tombs symbolizing death. And again, there were very specific rituals around death and what made you clean and not clean. And these two demoniacs come out. And they're scary And they're loud because this is their area. This is their zone. This is where they wield their power. This area in the Decapolis, this was the demon's playground. All the stuff that the Romans liked, it was access for them. This is where they wield their power to the extent that they have taken over the lives of two people, two people who are never named. We're not told anything about them because they have been subsumed. This is where the demons wield their power. Now, it's tempting for us in the 21st century, to read a passage like this one or like others in the Gospels where Jesus deals with demons and say, really? Really? Maybe these two guys just needed stronger medication. Maybe they needed a good psychiatrist. I mean, really? Is every time he's dealing with, is that really what's happening in this? Because, you know, that's all kind of uncouth. That's That's a little first century, and we are, after all, 21st century people. Some of you come from countries, and some of you visited countries, though, where the power of the demonic is very evident, very alive, very real. And Christians in those places are constantly praying against the forces of darkness in the name of Jesus. They're constantly being presented with people who, from all appearance, look like they are indeed taken over by a demon. In North America, though, in the 21st century, the work of the demonic, let me be clear about this, is just as strong, but it's a lot more subtle. Some of you know the novel, The Screwtape Letters. C.S. Lewis paints a picture of two demons who are writing letters back and forth to each other, an uncle named Screwtape and his nephew named Wormwood. And one of the letters, Screwtape writes to Wormwood, and he says, if you can get your human to not realize that you exist, you can get a lot of work done. If you can get your human to realize that you do not exist, you can get a lot of work done. 
That's the kind of work that's happening here. In one of his New Testament letters, Paul says that we are not to give the devil a foothold. We're not to give the devil any leverage in our lives. And it can be kind of vague to say, I don't really know, I'm not giving the devil a foothold. Well, let me give you some examples that were similar to what Rome was dealing with. Anytime we access pornography or engage in sexually promiscuous behavior, we are giving the devil a foothold. Anytime we are obsessed with our grades, obsessed with our grades to the point where we are losing sleep or we aren't eating well or we are manipulating relationships with our professors in order to do better, we're giving the devil a foothold. Anytime we are consumed with what we eat or with what we don't eat or with how much we weigh or how little we weigh, whenever we put our worth in a number on a scale, we are giving the devil a foothold. Anytime there is something in our lives that is on the throne in place of Jesus Christ, we are giving the devil a foothold. Every time. And for some of us, though, it's not just the subtle ways. It's not just the things that we do. Some of us here in this space have experienced demonic forces, have seen dark things, have had horrible night visions or nightmares. We know what it's like to be face-to-face with something that seems dark and powerful. And even to talk about spiritual warfare, for some of us, it just kind of creeps us out. Our default response when it comes to spiritual warfare in North America and the 21st century, our default response tends to be fear. We're afraid. What was Jesus' default response? Did you notice that in this entire passage of Scripture, he says one word? One word in Greek, hypagate, get out, be gone, move. One word, hypagate. And that's because his presence alone has got the demons shaping in their boots. They are terrified. His mere presence actually leads them to their own destruction. They begin by saying, what are you doing here? What do we have to do with each other? What do we have in common is really the Greek sense of the word. Why are you even here? This is not your area. This is our area. And then they name him, O Son of God. Because there was this belief back then, if you could name someone with the essential nature of who they were, that would give you some kind of power over them. What have you to do with us, O oh, Son of God? And even as the words leave their lips, they know they have no power here. And do you notice what they say next? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Before the time. 
You see, these demons, along with all other demons, know that their time is short. Their time is limited. Their days are numbered. And so they are going to torment as many people as they can until Jesus returns and they are all destroyed. So they know that. They know who this person is. They know why he is there. And before he even says anything to them, he doesn't have to give some magic words. He doesn't haul out a wand. He's just standing there. And they say, all right, we've already lost, so just throw us in the pigs. Just, you know, throw us in the pigs. And any Jew who would have heard this story is like, yeah, that's where demons go. They go in the pigs. So they say, there's swine over there, just send us in the swine. And Jesus, with the power of one word, hepagate, and they're gone. Jesus has absolute power over demons. Jesus has absolute power over demons. Jesus has absolute power over demons. This is why when we pray in the name of Jesus, we are claiming that power be exemplified right here in our midst. This is why we pray for things in the name of Jesus. And this is also why we need to pray against things in the name of Jesus. We can't just work for justice. We need to pray against injustice. We can't just work for the rights of others. We have to pray against when the rights get trampled. We can't just pray that we are somehow be more holy in our lives around sexuality and money and the idols that we have. We have to pray against the schemes of the enemy that are working to set up idol factories in our hearts. Jesus has absolute power over demons. We can pray for things in his name. We can pray against things in his name. So tell me, why are we still scared? I think one reason why we're scared is because we think spiritual warfare is about us. Like we have to have some magic words or, you know, got to be trained somehow. And there is great training around prayer and it's absolutely wonderful. We think we need to know the name of the demon or like a zone special area. No. If you make spiritual warfare all about you, you're going to be scared every time. It's about Jesus. It's about claiming the power of Jesus Christ. Another reason we're a little bit scared when it comes to this? For the same reason that townspeople were. You see, the In the region of the Decapolis, there were lots of temples, and a lot of those temples used pigs as sacrifice. This town had a big herd of swine, and scholars believe that many people in the village contributed to the herd, owned the herd, were invested in the herd, and their herd, their money, their investment just went off a cliff. So they come out from town, and they hear about the demoniac, and they say to Jesus, thank you so much. We were scared out of our mind by those guys. Wow, you have really cleaned up the world. That's great. We've got some other people who need to be healed. Could you just come on over here and check them out? No. Jesus has cost them, and they want him out. 
And we can kind of roll our eyes at that town and say, are you kidding me? Like Jesus was right there on the edge of your town and you didn't invite him in? Jesus is right here on the edge of our lives. And we're afraid of inviting him in because we know it's going to cost us. If I actually do my own academic work and I stop cheating, it could actually cost me my scholarship. If I get help for my eating disorder, I could actually put on weight and that will cost me this image that I have carefully crafted about myself. If I go to the support group at the counseling center around pornography addiction, it will cost me my ego and some pleasure that I've gotten quite a bit used to. When we look at spiritual warfare, we see a threat if we engage it, and we see a threat if we don't, because we make both things about us. And Jesus is standing at the edge of your life. And he knows right where the crazy things are. He knows right where the foothold is. He knows the dark spot. He knows the pain. And he says to us, I can do something about that. I can move some things in and I can move some things out. This is what Jesus longs to do. This is why Jesus came to us. He longs to rescue his people. He longs to take people, as we read earlier, from the kingdom of darkness and move them into the kingdom of light. This is why he came. This is why he came. When you were baptized into the name of God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, the triune God made a promise to you that he was going to fight for you. That he was going to have your back. And this is why if you are baptized into the name of the triune God, you can never be possessed by a demon because you've already been claimed by somebody else. And that God has his name on you and he is fighting for you and he will not give up. Jesus has absolute power over the demonic. So where do you need him to show up tonight? Where are the footholds? Maybe you've turned some of your footholds into a harbor. You've made it safe for dark things to abide, and it's time to say, Hippocate. Maybe you have a relationship. Maybe it's in your family 
where you think, I need Jesus to move in. I have nothing to do. I have nothing to say. I don't even know where this is going. I need Jesus to move in here. I need to pray for Jesus to move into my family. I need to pray against the sins that I and my friends succumb to when we're together, whether that's gossip or drunkenness or greed. Where do you need Jesus? Where are you going to claim him? Where are you going to say his name? This is not theoretical. We're going to do this tonight. And the way we're going to do it is this. Our Korean brothers and sisters here at Calvin have taught us about chorus prayer, about everybody praying out loud at the same time. So what's going to happen in just a minute, I'll pray, and I'm going to close my prayer, and I'm going to say one, two, three, and we're all going to yell the name Jesus And then we're all going to pray out loud about where we need Jesus to say agabete in our life. Move out. Get out. Go. Now, I know that for some of you, you've done this before. You've been in chapel here. We've done this. You're fine. Other people are like, I'm sorry, what are we happening? What's happening right now? So when I say three, one, two, three, we're all going to yell Jesus. And then if you want, you can pray quietly. But there'll be a lot of people praying out loud, and no one's going to listen to you because they're all praying about themselves. All right? So don't worry about it. So let's stand. Don't worry, too, about how long you pray because the musicians are going to come up and they're going to lead us into the next part of worship. Okay? Let's pray. Jesus name above all names. At your name, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that you are Lord. We claim that power today. We claim it in our lives. Move into the strongholds. Move into the footholds. Move into the places that need to be cleaned out. We pray that for ourselves We pray that for Calvin College. We pray that for the schools we represent, for the city of Grand Rapids, for the United States of America, for this world. This is your world, Jesus. So Holy Spirit, stir us now, prompt us, help us to know exactly what it is, where you need to get to work, where you're excited to get to work because you know on the other side of this is life and light and hope and peace. So Jesus, we now claim your name. One, two, three. Jesus! Lord, we pray you today ask your blessing on this campus. I pray particularly for any dorm room that needs you, any place that is not of you. Move into those places. Let them find you. Let them be yours mighty in a mighty way. Pray for the hearts of any cabinet members that are holding out in some place, in some way. They're holding on to something, some idol. Remove them. Dislodge them. Dislodge the idols, Lord. Come into this place in a mighty way. 
May this be the place that raises up leaders for you. May this be the place that welcomes. May this be the place that hungers and thirsts for righteousness. Help us to be a light on the hill, a light for dark places. Lord, come into this way.